630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Okay, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Lots of good Oilers chat in the first hour of the show. Always happy to hear from you. Very informed and passionate fans. Well, most of you. I get I get the odd correspondence from some of you that are out to lunch, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna identify those people. <laughs> no, but seriously, it's always good. Obviously, we're uh, prognosticating at this point, playing the what if game, but that's part of the fun of being a sports fan. Doug in Saskatchewan texting in. He says, fans need to remember Holland didn't sign the contract with Seattle. Holland didn't sign Koskinen. He's trying to build the best team he can with what he's been dealt. The Oilers are deeper on forward and a D-man away from being pretty solid if Smith can hold up. That is from Doug in Saskatchewan. Colton says the Oilers will make it to the dance. They just need to work on their two-step and perform at the dance. Oh, that's pretty good. Leonard says, uh, Reed, happy anniversary to your parents. What a milestone. Well, I will pass that on to them. And uh, Leonard also says, I was wrong the other day when I thought we'd be talking about Kemper, Hyman, and Getzlaff. Well, we only got one, so as Meatloaf, uh, Meatloaf says, one out of three ain't bad. <laughs> Maybe it was two out of three, but still I'm happy with what Holland did. That is from Leonard. Yeah, I, mean, I think the Meatloaf song's two out of three ain't bad. Isn't it, Angie? You're pretty knowledgeable musically. I am, but you've caught me off guard again, Reed. Like always. Do you know who Meatloaf is? I do know who Meatloaf is. <laughs> oh man, you. <laughs> All right, you don't have to look it up. Don't worry. All right. I'm pretty sure it's two out of three. But eight, eight bad for for Meatloaf. Uh, Angie Quinnell back at the studio today. Is Kellen Kennedy is taking some time off to rearrange his sock drawer. All right. So last week, we asked you to go to our website and vote. And pick your Elks all-time All-Stars in each position. And we've been revealing the final results, the top four in each category, throughout this week. And we have our final two categories tonight. At quarterback, here's what happened. Jackie Parker was picked fourth. I think Jackie Parker was named in three different categories. He was also a running back and defensive back. Tom Wilkinson was third. Ricky Ray was second. And Warren Moon, the runaway winner. And I, I, to me, there's Moon's a no-doubter as the best quarterback in franchise history. I, I really wondered what would happen here because for the most part, the Elks have a pretty good history at quarterback, especially since, I guess, the mid-'70s onward. Uh, I think there were some really, really good players here who had good seasons here but didn't necessarily play here for a long time, like Dunnigan, like Allen, like Ham. I know Allen was here and left and came back. Um, and I really wondered if Michael Riley would be in the top four. Now, you know, Ray um, has two great cups to Riley's one. Riley's a little more, uh, he's, he's more recent. And, and obviously sometimes in polls like this, there is some recency bias where those uh, players who are fresher in fans' memories sometimes do a little better. But the top four for quarterback, Moon, Ray, Wilkinson, and Parker. At receiver, Jason Tucker, fourth. George McGowan, third. Fred Stamp, second. And this gentleman, Brian Kelly, topped the voting. Brian, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. How are you doing? 
I'm doing very well. It's nice to catch up with you again. We spoke during uh, what would have been the week of the Great Cup back in November. So good to have you on the show again in pretty fun circumstances, Brian. I want to get your reaction to this. According to the fans, you are voted the greatest receiver in the history of the franchise. My goodness, how does that sound? Well, I, I, it's very kind of them um, to do that. Um, it, uh, I was lucky to play on some really good teams, as you would know, which obviously makes it a lot easier. And um, no, it's um, it's a nice honor, and uh, you know, it's uh, nice for me. I can tell my kids, and they'll show me a little respect for about five minutes before they move on. <laughs> Well, th this is one of those, um, uh, you know, to me, it's one of these polls. It's fun to do. Uh, you know, I've talked to a player every, every week about it, and and it sounds like it's fun for, for the players to talk about. And, you know, Hector was on last night, and he was voted the best offensive lineman. But, I, I mean, I, I assume when you're playing, you're not really thinking about how am I going to be remembered and will I be one of the all-time greats or do, or do players think about that? Tell me what it's, what that's like. Well, I, I certainly didn't, but um, I don't really imagine many do. I think you're pretty focused on the moment uh, wherever that would be and almost, you know, day to day and week to week. And um, if you're lucky enough to put together some seasons, then you're just really trying to make the team for the next season. Cause it is a, rather high turnover rate business and there's always somebody younger and faster and stronger uh, who would like to have your job so it's uh, i don't really think people uh, or players really probably think of that kind of big long-term picture idea i think they just try and go week to week and stay healthy and, and play as well as they can so tell me a little bit about that that receiving core uh and i mean obviously you were you were part of the the five in a row dynasty, but the team stayed strong throughout the eighties and you won another great cup in, in 1987. But you know, Warren had a clip on the morning show today saying, well, you could take away this guy, but then there was this guy, this guy. And it, like, how, uh, how good was that receiving core that, that you remember? And how did you guys gel together? Well, I think first off, we, we liked each other. Um, you know, there was Waddell Smith who was, the speedster and then there was brian fryer and stuart lang and tom richards and players like that that played that other slot back position and then tommy scott and i uh pretty much played on one side of the field together and tommy scott is is probably uh, gets as much credit for the success that i was able to have as anybody he um when I came into the league, he'd already been playing and was very established and everybody knew of him. They knew to fear him and he got double covered, uh, gosh, probably for the half of my career. And, um, till they figured out that I, I wasn't that bad either, but he was, he really took a lot of pressure off me. I will tell you that. Well, and that's interesting, right? That uh, how all the receivers can work together. And then especially for those dynasty years, you had two quarterbacks throwing to you, sometimes in the same game. Sometimes one would replace the other. Uh, Moon and Wilkinson, it, compare and contrast those guys. Did you have to play any differently as a receiver, depending on which one of those guys was taking the snaps? Well, with Warren, you could use the whole field, and I did. And, and a lot of 
defensive players were surprised that places that I would go on the field just be, due to his um, arm strength. And uh, he would overthrow coverages. And, uh, you know, long after a, play, a defensive back had kind of figured, well, there's no way in the world anyone can put it here. And he just let me go by and suddenly Warren did put it there. Um, Tom, on the other hand, you know, was... Um, uh, yeah, he was the general of the team. He certainly tutored Warren. You know, obviously didn't have the physical gifts that Warren did. In fact, hardly anybody uh, ever had the physical gifts Warren did. But Tom was absolutely just as important um, in numerous circumstances. And, I mean, he was the guy that got the whole thing going. He was, in my opinion, just kind of the cornerstone of the whole thing, him and Hugh Campbell kind of were always the guiding lights. Um, other players may have had more star power um, and more gifts, but I think those two, and Tom being certainly one of them, was one of the real cornerstones of the whole um, dynasty years. Brian Kelly joining us tonight on Inside Sports. So I, I, you're, I, to me, uh, you're probably one of those people you like talking about other people more than yourself, but I want to ask you about yourself, <laughs> about yourself here. Uh, sure. You know, you I, I remember watching you play. I, I was pretty young, but I, I don't think you were the biggest guy. You mentioned Waddell Smith probably was the, the speed burner in that receiving core. But, I mean, you, you got all these prolific stats. You got championships. Um, you know, when TSN did its top 50 players a few years ago, you were number 20. Um, so what was the secret to your success and, and longevity? Like, for people who didn't see you play, why were you so darn good, Brian? <laughs> Well, I, you know, I, I worked at it. I, I certainly worked at my craft of being a receiver. Um, and also, you can't forget that I played every quarterback I played with is a Hall of Fame quarterback. The linemen were able to keep the, you know, defenders away from the quarterback, which allowed me endless creativity in my pass running, uh, my pass routes that I ran. Um, you know, I, I mean, I just worked at it. I when others were not working uh, at their craft, I was. Uh, and that didn't start when I got to Edmonton. It went through college and even high school. I always enjoyed just going out on the field with a quarterback and didn't matter if it was July and there wasn't a game for three months of just running pass patterns and catching passes and, and working on, on the craft. The um, you know, and the other thing, there's the, the Canadian game itself really lent itself to my skill set. Um, the U.S. game in the smaller field, uh, it, it it wasn't as good for me. Once I hit the size of the Canadian field with the skills that I had, it really let me blossom and show what a player, kind of player I, I might be able to be. Um, so... It's, it was really just, I just worked at it and, and, and I had great players around me and who threw the ball to me, especially, and uh, it, it somehow worked. So I want to ask you a question. I've asked every guy I've had on this week this question, but as it pertains to their position. So let's say you had a group of, you know, youngsters, teenagers, or even a little younger who are maybe starting to play football or just getting into play playing football. And somebody says, okay, Brian, you got to pick which guys you, you want to be the receivers. What, what, what sort of raw skills 
do you look for in a receiver? Or if you were coaching a, a young group of receivers, what would you say, okay, before we do anything else, you got to have these basics down? There's a, a term that people use when they describe somebody's ability to move, and they'll say, like, that person has quick feet. And it's, I, I don't think it's really something you can um, work on. I, Tommy Scott had incredibly quick feet. And I don't know if I did, but it, it's a, the ability to change direction, to, you know, run, obviously. I mean, catching the ball, by the way, I always figured if you could learn how to run a pass pattern and get open, well, it's a lot easier to catch a ball with nobody around you than having somebody hanging on your back. So, uh, you know, the uh, quick feet is a, a kind of a trait that great athletes tend to have. And then, you know, you have to work at it. Um, as I say, uh, uh, lots of times, unfortunately, the real gifted athletes, the ones that are big and fast and strong, you know, they don't work hard enough. And it's no different than hockey. I mean, look at Wayne Gretzky. He was, this, you know, it's the same thing. He just worked harder than others. And he also had some natural gifts, obviously. But I would say if there was one trait, it's, it's called quick feet because it gives you the ability to move really quick in any direction. And um, it just kind of comes natural, I think. That's a really good explanation. I like that for sure. And I'll be watching the feet of receivers uh, all year long in the Canadian Football <laughs> League. Hey, this this is great to catch up with you. Um, let everybody know what you're up to now because I, I you're you're coming back to to Edmonton. Is this a, is this a permanent move or or what's going on here? I'm sure this this might excite people if you're going to be around town a little more. Uh, well, no, we um, we have four children and we've lived in Minneapolis for 20 years. And we're moving back. My wife actually is heading up there like right now. We just got our Canadian passports two days ago, and she bolted as soon as she got hers. Um, yeah, we're going to be living in Edmonton. Uh, we have three grandchildren in the province. Two of, our, two, half our, two of our kids live in Edmonton, two live in Calgary. And we're looking forward to moving back there. Uh, what am I doing? I can tell you I'm doing something that probably none of your other guest speakers are going to tell you they're doing. I My hobby is that I do triathlons and I'm doing the Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii in 72 days. So I spend my time these days on a bicycle, riding as far as you can imagine, <laughs> running, swimming. Oh my God, my days are just, I work out all the time because I'm going to be doing it very, very difficult event in uh, 72 days. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> like I, yeah. Well, I remember when we talked uh, in November, you, you told me a little bit about getting into that stuff. So that's awesome. You're doing a big one. So, okay, well, we're going to have to talk in about 75 days when you get back and catch your breath. Sound good? That, yeah, you can make a call. If I'm able to talk, then we'll talk. Right on. Thanks, Brian. That's Brian Kelly. Yeah, he's always a blast to have on the show, isn't he? Voted by you the best receiver in Elks franchise history. Warren Moon voted the top quarterback ahead of Ricky Ray. Uh, Fred Stamps was voted the second best receiver. I, I loved Fred Stamps. I got to say, for me, 
I mean, I think Kelly's a pretty obvious number one. For me, it would have been Jason Tucker. Now, look, I didn't see George McGowan was on the list. I didn't see George McGowan. I mean, I was born in 1974, so I remember the five-in-a-row team. I was still pretty young. But I think, certainly as an adult, I think Jason Tucker's the best double-E receiver that I've seen because he could do it all. And then don't forget, I mean, Terry Vaughn, like, and again, nothing against Fred Stamps. I, I would I would probably even put Terry Vaughn ahead of Fred Stamps. But I just think Tucker, and, and the reason I would say Tucker is because he could go deep. He could run precise patterns. He could get yards after the catch. I, I just think he was the most well-rounded of the receivers that the double E had, uh, you know, certainly into the 2000s. Just my opinion. That's why it's fun voting on stuff like this. Inside Sports on Ched, we'll catch up on today's news with the Elks. Sixteen players released today by the Elks. You can get the full list in Dave Campbell's story on 630Ched.com, globalnews.ca. A couple of surprises on that list. Linebacker Vontae Diggs, defensive end Sean Lemon, both let go. Here's general manager Brock Sunderland. Yeah, just very simple is there was players that we felt outplayed them. And it, nothing more than that, nothing less than that. So we had some young rookie linebackers that came in that had tremendous camps. We felt that they played better. And same on the defensive line. We have two other American defensive ends that we thought played better than Sean. And it's not that they're bad football players. That's a good problem to have with a pro football team during training camp is when you have some younger guys that you think are a little bit better. Both Vontae and Sean are very good football players, and they're great people. Uh, Vontae is energetic. He brings a fun energy to every room he's in so that aspect will be missed in a few all right so yeah a little bit surprising but as Sunderland said they think they have better players who can jump in there head coach Jamie Elizondo on the goal of building a culture yeah I think we got a great group of men in that locker room we even cut some great men in, in Vontae Diggs and, and Sean Lemon so that's how those guys you know as we try to build this thing you know, I've said this before, culture is what wins championships, right? But uh, we cut some some high-quality character men today at, at a number of positions that would fit to what we're building in that locker room. But uh, uh, we got a great group of guys in there right now. Uh, it starts with you as a person, you know, and then if you have a really good group of men and they happen to be really good football players, which is a great combination to have, you know, that's, that's the starting point for building this thing the right way. We are finally getting there next Saturday. Next Saturday is the Elks' first game since 2019 when they lost the East Final in Hamilton. It's on 6.30, Chet. Countdown to kickoff at 6. The game will start at 8. Actually, the CFL season starts one week from tonight, Thursday, August 5th. It's going to be Hamilton at Winnipeg in a rematch of the 2019 Grey Cup. Looking forward to that. here from Brent who says George McGowan his pick for the best receiver in the history of the Elks franchise he was a third according to the votes we had on our website last week again it was Brian Kelly Fred Stamps George McGowan Jason Tucker the top four at quarterback Warren Moon big winner then Ricky Ray then Tom Wilkinson then Jackie Parker the other category leaders Normie Kwong voted the top running back Heck Pothier on the O-line he joined us uh, last night on the show. Dave Fennell on the defensive line. 
Dan Kepley, linebacker, Larry Highbaugh, defensive back, and the uh, widest uh, or the most votes for anybody. And uh, yes, also the widest margin of victory in a category. The Giz, Henry Williams, the best special teams player of all time. I don't think there was any doubt about that one. Uh, we're getting there. Yeah, the Elks news today with a couple of surprise cuts, and we're counting down, counting down to the first game of the season. Finally, finally, next Saturday, 8 o'clock, when they're going to be taking on the Ottawa. Oh, I get you. I, 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 it probably annoys people, but I like doing it. The Ottawa Red Blacks. That's what you get for insisting your name is in all caps. I shouted out. I actually, somebody got really mad at me once on the text line a few years ago because they were like, read the, the all caps is for emphasis. It's not volume. Volume is for exclamation marks. And I was like, okay, I'm still going to do it though. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what you want me to do. Somebody should come up with a team name. It's just a series of symbols. Do you remember when Prince was the, didn't he become the artist formerly known as Prince and his team name was just a symbol? So they, they wouldn't have, I guess their logo would also be their team name. They wouldn't have a, a word as their name. Does, there must be some team in the world that, I don't know. They're like, we're the, uh, you know, we're the Pinoca and then the, it's just the symbol of the team name after that. Could that be the next evolution? I mean, now in the in the NHL, we got a team named after a, like a giant squid, right? Isn't that what a kraken is? I don't know. The guy on the line will know. Pat Steinberg's checking in from Sports at nine sixty in uh, in Calgary. Yeah, like a kraken. I don't. I don't even. Is is a kraken even real, or is it like a mythical creature? I, I think it's out of Scandinavian folklore or something. I, be I believe that is correct. It's also a delicious spiced rum. Uh, which uh, immediately, of course, that's the first place that I'd go as a degenerate human. Um, but yeah, the, the the I believe immediately, as soon as they announced their name, there was like an instant partnership with Kraken the Rum. So uh, yes, I believe I do believe that it is a mythical creature. Uh, but then again, like, what are the Minnesota wild? Are they all wild animals? It's a lynx that is their, their symbol, but is it, is it, a, is it just lynx? Is it all wild animals? Is it only Midwest see, wild animals? Is it, so there's a lot of ambiguity. See, to me, the Minnesota wild, I know they kind of have that animal in profile in their logo, but to me, the Minnesota wild, refers to you know the wilderness you're out in the wild or perhaps it's a state of being it's a mindset we are we we are we are wild and we could exist as wild animals if need be and what and so what are the nashville predators they're that big saber-toothed tiger that would go predate on people and i mean depending on who you ask the saber tooth i mean it's extinct it doesn't doesn't exist anymore so i i don't See, like what's the difference between the the saber tooth tiger and the crack maybe the kraken existed at one time See, that's why I that's why I think ultimately with sports team names, you can't put too much thought into it. Like, I mean, obviously a year ago we were going through the announcement of the name being changed for our football team and people were freaking out. And some people still are. I mean, whatever, if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. But really it's a name. You get used to it and you move on. Like because with sports team names, you can pick apart anything like I and mean, let's face it people laughed at ottawa red blacks and yeah i make fun of the the all caps but i you know what i think they've done a great job with the the lumberjack imagery 
Uh, I think the the logo is fun, like the R and the buzz saw. I don't. E- I didn't even care when they put their Twitter hashtag down the side of their pants. I was like, why not? Like, who's to say what's inappropriate when it comes to uh, marketing a team or or trying to get attention? And let, like I have always said, I think Penguins is a horrible name for a sports team. Like, what is a penguin? Are they like some big aggressive bird? No, but it sounds like Pittsburgh and there's ice, or it's got to pee like Pittsburgh and there's ice and they can skate. So go be a penguin, I guess. I don't know. Remember when, the, just uh, if you want to go down a real rabbit hole, remember when the. Um when the Edmonton Rush were a team, uh, there was a stretch there where instead of their names on the back of their jerseys, they used their Twitter handles. Uh, that that was uh, that was a thing that happened for like ten games. Uh, I don't even Edmonton remember Rush. that. They had their Twitter handles on the back of their jerseys as opposed to their last names. So uh, I digress. And and well, what what are the Oilers? Is it is it all? Is it only people who work on rigs? What about the people who sell? What about midstream? Are we downside? There, there's a lot. So I, I feel like we have to we have to really hold. If we're gonna go to this, if we're gonna go this route with the Kraken. I need to figure out: Do the Oilers only refer to the the gentlemen that are working on the rigs, or what about the people? downtown in calgary we have a huge oil industry down here are they oilers as well well it is i think i don't know if you'll you'll completely agree with me but i think you'll mostly agree that probably one of the most inappropriate names of all time is the utah jazz let's move a team from new orleans to utah but still call them the jazz like what like well there's nothing unique to utah you could have come up with the, the 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 Atlanta Flames were uh, named after uh, a very famous fire in Atlanta, and they just kept the name when they moved to Calgary. They're like, yeah, well, it kind of, I guess, kind of goes with the the oil theme in Alberta. I, I guess you could do Calgary Flames, but there's like, there's been no great fire in Calgary, so that one they they, they did kind of the same thing from Atlanta to Calgary. Yeah, but but it's true, like because they say what the Flames. Um you know, you have kind of the oil burning off, you know, and, and stuff yes. like that. And I guess you could say if they're, if they're playing good hockey, they're hot, like, like flames. But, uh, anyway, wh- why did we start hey, talking? When do, we, uh, when do we go? When do we go live on the air? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is actually a, a conversation you and I would usually have at the NHL draft. Cause we often try to go out one night and have a pizza and a beer or whatever. And this is the type of conversation we would have. So people basically have get to eavesdrop on that eavesdrop eavesdrop on that. We may wind up in the eavesdrops by the end of the night. Uh, yes, but, but we didn't get to do that at the draft this year. So we'll just have that conversation uh, on air about uh, team nicknames, by the way. And speaking of mythical creatures, we have the Grant McEwen or the McEwen Griffins here in Edmonton, which is the legendary creature with the, uh, the head and wings of an Eagle and the body, tail, and back legs of a lion, which leads yeah. you to believe, like, what were people, what were they consuming when they came up with some of these? Like, this is this a bunch of, like, ancient authors, like, th- their version of comic books? Like, uh, hey, uh, uh, hey, uh, Amadeus, uh, what do you want to come up with tonight? I don't know, lion-eagle combo? Like, that's what it must have been like. Nate Ooks. Always, always very underrated. The Nate Ooks. Not a lot of owls owl. out there. I know. That's why not a lot of owl mascots out there. I quite like the Nate Ooks. That's a good point. I don't know how many teams. Well, the Temple Owls are in the states, right? Yep. 
but they're just called owls. Yeah, Ook, Ooks is a nice, unique, kind of interesting name that that fits, I think, for a lot of reasons. So we'll we'll give them that's that's going to be our team of the night, the Nate Ooks, a school to uh, which I went, though I did not play for uh, any Ook pick teams. All right, Pat Steinberg is on from Sportsnet nine sixty in Calgary. That was a that was that was fun. I should ask you about some actual news of the day. Look, uh, Derek Ryan is not new to me because I saw him play at the at the U of A and interviewed him. I even interviewed him when he was playing in, in Sweden. And then, you know, we get to catch up with him occasionally through his, uh, I guess, what, past six seasons in the National Hockey League. But your experience uh, dealing with Derek fairly regularly over the last three years. Yeah, like, uh, I'll, I'll say, like, I'll say this. I'll, I'll talk to uh, any... Um, any Oiler media who might be listening, and certainly uh, to Oiler fans. <clears throat> For Oiler media, you're you're getting one of the absolute best in the NHL to talk to, uh, to deal with. And for fans, like you're getting a guy that is going to tell it like it is, but deliver it in a in just like a, a very well spoken and friendly and just down to earth fashion. I, I think like that was actually. Uh, excuse me. One of the one of the bigger hits of free agency actually was when uh, late on Wednesday the Oilers were able to hammer out that deal for Derek Ryan. And you know, I think the Flames had, had talked to him, but there had been it, it had felt like for quite some time that the Flames and Ryan were going to go in different directions. And uh, and I mean, we all we all heard that Ryan and the Oilers had some sort of connection at the trade deadline, and it never ended up getting consummated then. But when I heard that. When I, I believe it was, uh, I believe it was our good buddy Stoffer who uh, said it that uh, the Oilers, the Flames, I think one other team were sniffing around Derek Ryan. It's like, well, I mean, the Oilers make sense. They almost acquired him at the deadline, or the very least had interest in him at the, at the deadline. You're getting a right shot center. You're getting a guy that you know. Are, are you are you talking about a, a ton of offensive upside? Maybe not, but I, I still think that you could probably get 10 goals, 25 points easy from Derek Ryan as as a 3 or 4C. And if you go take a look at some of his underlying metrics on the ice over the last few years, this has been one of the best defensive centers in the NHL. He's very strong on the face-off dot. You can put him in a very defensively oriented role. You can expect him to win a face-off, not spend a lot of time in his own zone, and uh, and move the play north. And and I think that it's just another really good addition to an Oilers team that from afar, an Oilers forward group that is as deep as I can remember it when you actually look at NHL talent up and down the four lines. When you when you add Hyman, when you add Fogel, and then you add a really really important addition, and and I think savvy, good value signing in Ryan. So really really awesome guy. I've got nothing but good things to say. One of the top five NHLers I, I've ever worked with. Uh, he's a grown up. He's an adult. He has he he'll bring kind of that quiet, understated leadership to the room. A good connection as a four year member of the University of Alberta. And just the path that he took to get to the NHL from being a Memorial Cup champion in his hometown, Spokane, to playing four years at the U of A and then going to Europe and going to Sweden and Austria and and having to go through it that way before finally getting an opportunity to come back to the AHL and eventually the NHL. So I I think it's great signing and uh, I think it makes the Oilers a whole lot deeper at the bottom six. 
Well, I, I like how you said that about his journey, and I think most Oilers fans know it and know the U of A connection. But, I mean, you and I know that from hosting talk shows and, you know, trying to tell stories and hoping that athletes will share their stories with us. You know, the McDavid's and Goudreau's of the world get all the headlines, but the best stories are the guys on the fourth lines and the bottom pairs, right? Like, the, 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 those are the those are the often the, the, the best stories. You know, like, I, you know, I knew Mark Letestu. I always talk about that going back to Junior B and, and his path. Those are often the best stories, and Derek has one of those. So, Pat, let yep. me ask you this. Um, because, you know, you, you cover the Flames intensely. I suppose if someone were to come up to me and say, Reed, what happened with the Flames this offseason? I guess I would say, uh, Geo left and they signed Blake Coleman. Okay, that's two moves. Like, give me kind of the Coles notes, though, for the Flames this offseason. And do they look a, a little better to you after what turned into a pretty disappointing year? Well, it's, it's funny because, first of all, I think that here we are, whatever, 24 hours and a bit um, into free agency. Draft weekend is not even a week old. You know, I, I think it's still a very small snapshot of the offseason, and Brad Treliving, the general manager's work, is still pretty incomplete, uh, and I still think there's there's more work to do. But if you were to take a look at what where this team is now from the way they ended, just going player for player and, and looking at the roster – I would say that they are significantly deeper at forward. Um, you know, they, they tried last season to backfill the roster after signing Chris Tanev and Jacob Markstrom and being tight to the cap. They tried to backfill their roster, especially at forward, with some low-cost, low-risk, but hoping for a high-reward payoff. Don Simone, Josh Levo, Joachim Nordstrom, and, and none of them really paid off. Uh, Nordstrom was the only one that was really a, a regular on the team, and he was mainly a penalty-killing specialist. So they, instead, this year, they've gone out they with, with Mark Giordano's absence, which we'll get to in a second, but with him leaving to Seattle, well, almost $7 million is freed up on the cap, and Derek Ryan leaves, and there's another $3-plus million on the cap. So they went out, and they signed Blake Coleman, and, I think just the just the single addition. I, I look at Coleman uh, almost identical to the way that I look at Hyman in in your city. In that, I think he comes in right away and makes the team instantly better. I think Hyman is going to be a glove-like fit in in Edmonton. I think he is a perfect fit with star players there. And you take a look at his track record over, over the last three four years. It has been a very consistently effective one. And Coleman's the same. Whether he's been on a mediocre also ran team like New Jersey or for the last season and a bit with the Tampa Bay Lightning an elite cup winning team same things happen with with Coleman he starts in the defensive zone he drives play north he drives offense uh, and when he's on the ice the team usually his team usually out attempts and out chances the opposing team and I think Coleman would have been a fit on any team and on any roster in any style in the NHL and the Flames were were able to land him and yes you know the Oilers had to give seven years to Hyman and the Flames had to give six years to Coleman and both these guys are 29 years old but I again like first of all to get guys hitting unrestricted free agency to come to small Canadian markets like Calgary like Edmonton that can sometimes mean you got to throw an extra year on it's just the 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 way of the world right now and and I think it still ends up being a win for both teams to score two of the biggest names in unrestricted free agency and and I would say 
right there, Coleman and Hyman, two of the top five names that you had in free agency. So I, I think Coleman is going to be an instant fit. He can play in, in any situation. He's a 20-goal guy. He can play in a, in a tough 200-foot role if you want him to do that. You can put him in a more offensive role if you want to do that. He's a very strong penalty killer. They also added Trevor Lewis. They added uh, Tyler Pitlick in a trade from Seattle. I think those guys are solid defensive options. Nothing nothing overwhelming, nothing spectacular, but I think solid options in the bottom six or, or bottom three forward groups and and I think that they they'll probably be upgrades on, you know, guys like as I mentioned, Levo and Simone from last year. But where it really gets interesting is on the blue line. Mark Jordano leaves and yeah, he turns thirty eight in October, but he was still their best defenseman last year or one of their two best defensemen last year. He led the team in ice time with twenty two fifty seven. He was on their number one power play unit the number one penalty kill unit and he played the toughest even strength minutes on the team not to mention he was the captain of the team you take take away any of the leadership things and you take just his on ice away and yes they acquired nikita zadorov from chicago for a third round pick but they are looking at a massive glaring hole in their blue line right now noah hannafin took massive steps last year and has turned into a, a guy that you can see being a top-pairing defenseman in this league, and, and I thought played like one for uh, the vast majority of last year. And when he went down late in the season, the Flames felt that loss. But you're putting more pressure on Hannafin, uh, more pressure on a pair with him and Chris Tanev. You're looking right now at Rasmus Anderson on the second pair, and then who's the natural guy to play with him on the left side? Is it Zadorov? Uh, well, Zadorov is a pretty decent defensive defenseman, but doesn't move the needle a whole lot offensively, and there's a pretty steep fall off I think from Giordano to Zadorov you've got Yusuf Valamaki in his second year but that's asking a lot of him to just move into top four minutes so I don't know if the Flames are done on the blue line it kind of feels like they need to make one more addition because without Mark Giordano right now it looks a little thin and then with with the acquisition of the goaltender Dan Vladar from Boston, who has five NHL starts to his name, they're taking a little bit of a risk. It's an interesting gamble. I think there is a decent chance of, of a nice payoff on the gamble, but guy with five NHL starts and if Jacob Markstrom at some point goes down last year that's a lot to put on a guy with with limited NHL action. So I think they're significantly better at forward, but I've got some questions and and certainly there's some uncertainty when it comes to their blue line and what they've got in that behind Markskin. All right. Pat, this was a cracking segment. We'll have you on throughout the summer. I, it'll be fun to talk some CFL with you as well as we get kicking off one week from today, buddy. Really appreciate your perspective. We'll talk to you soon. You're a good man. Thanks, Reader. That is Pat Steinberg from the Flames Radio Network, the host of their broadcasts on Sportsnet 960 in Calgary. We uh, what did we start talking about team names, which was uh, fun, and uh, <laughs> and then he got to, to the lowdown on uh, the Flames and maybe some similarities there to Edmonton. He said the forward depth better. Uh, not sure about the defense. Now they do have Markstrom coming back, who uh, did not outplay Mike Smith this past season, but is younger and uh, has had some pretty good seasons under his belt. So some of the storylines there for the Calgary Flames. Good to have Pat on the show. Roadhammer, our Sylvan Lake Alliance of Wrestling heavyweight champion, says when the World University had games were here, they had an owl as a mascot, and his name was Woogie. I did not know that. 1983. All right, we had an owl mascot. That is pretty cool. 
630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.